This is episode 63 of the Rising Man podcast with Mike Bodkin. I hear the mountain calling, calling. Good rising, familia. It's Jetty Azuma, the host and the creator of this show. And welcome back for another riveting episode of the Rising Man podcast. This week and this episode are both very special to me because in my world, it's prep week for Compass. What is Compass, you ask? Compass is our 12-week journey that we have created for men, centered around a ceremonial vision fast, where we lead men into the mountains to fast solo for four days and four nights so that they can gain clarity on their vision, their purpose, and the work they came to do here in this life. So in just a couple of days, I will be leading four brave souls into the desert to fast and pray for the vision for clarity on what they need to do with this one life they have. And I'll tell you why this is a dream and a vision come true for me. Because when I went and fasted on the mountain, this was the message that I received. This was the message I was informed of, the work that I came here to do. The podcast, all the work that I do, bring guys out into the wilderness, is all rolled into that vision that I received. So I'm truly humbled, honored, grateful to be serving in this capacity and bringing this work to the world, to men who, who need it, who are looking for clarity in these areas of their lives. And so if you want to be a part of this growing community of men who are stepping forward and participating in rites of passage events like this, like elements that we do a few times a year, sign up to be a patron of the Rising Man podcast at www.patreon.com slash rising man. This is how you can support the podcast and level up your own life within the Rising Man Fire Circle. The Fire Circle is where men come to accelerate their growth, their discovery, and their becoming of the men they've always wanted to be. Our next Fire Circle is going to be April 27th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. But don't wait until then to join because you can become a part of our private Facebook community now by committing to our $33 a month tier in the Patreon support page. So go to the link patreon.com slash rising man sign up today and take a step forward into your own journey of becoming the man that you've always wanted to be all right let me introduce my guest for today very special guest a man by the name of mike bodkin mike is a psychotherapist and wilderness guide who has been the executive director of rites of passage for over 30 years rites of passage is his nonprofit organization that he runs his passion is leading people to the mirror of nature to discover the gifts of their soul. He directs the guide training programs for Rites of Passage and has led vision quests and trainings in places as diverse as South Korea and Australia. He's also a strong voice for men's soul work, having guided men on the visions quest for over 20 years. This man is a really special well of wisdom and information. I'm really grateful that he took the time to come on the show today. What we talked about in this episode was defining a rite of passage. We talked about the three stages that every rite of passage is composed of, including the magical in-between worlds realm, as Mike likes to call it. We talked about what happens to men who never mark their threshold into manhood and how other cultures around the world function around rites of passage, community, and supporting their young ones in living their vision in their lives. You guys know how community is so important to me. I talk about it all the time. We spoke about it in a very specific way. Mike has lived in an intentional community for many years. So we brought his wisdom to the table on community support, why it's essential for every man to truly embody his purpose and his mission, as well as further insight into creating rituals around men's cycles, comparable to women's natural cycles, so that we can have the cleansing and clearing we need as men to function at our highest capacity. And so, so, so much more. 
I'll let Mike do the rest of the talking. Without further ado, Mike Bodkin. Welcome back, Rising Man community. Got a really special guest tuning in from Northern California today, a man by the name of Mike Bodkin. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, excellent. It's really great to have you as a guest here on the show. We've we've only had a couple of quick conversations at this point. I'm really interested in your story and the wisdom that you have about rites of passage, community, and what I define as a new way of being mm. in this world as humans. And so thanks for bringing that and making the time for us today. So uh, a little bit of background. Mike has been working in rites of passage and vision questing work for, I mean, how many decades now? 40 years? Yeah. I mean, I first went on a vision quest with the old rites of passage organization in 1980. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so definitely a lot of history there. And and so you've been deeply involved in that work. And you also are, you have a background in psychology as well. Yeah. I'm a marriage and family therapist to be specific about the term. There we go. Cal- so I, I really like that dynamic because it's a bridge between the two worlds. I think mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, I have a background in physical therapy and then also mm-hmm. the work that I'm doing with rites of passage. So I feel like it, I, at least it served me to have that balance between Eastern and Western my, mentalities and alternative and holistic together. But great. So uh, here's what I do. When I, when I start off this podcast, I ask everybody the same question and we'll start there. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Hmm. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a certain sense, a sense that maybe isn't a Western sense, a man is not defined by chronological age or the number of risky situations he's put himself in or any exterior challenge, mm-hmm. but it has to do with a measure of self-knowledge and recognition of his place, mm-hmm. his understanding of what he brings into the larger world, a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. to the community, but also that self-knowledge is essential for that. You mm-hmm. can't skip that. Mm-hmm. So it starts with coming to terms with who he is, where he's been, recognizing himself, finding some of his gifts, and then stepping into a conscious state of manhood. I think for men, more than for women, this has to be a process that is entered into voluntarily and, and consciously. It's not like, for instance, um, it's not thrust upon you, mm-hmm. although you can respond to events in a way that demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, here's an interesting thing. I, I just had this thought that boy and man is so definitive. It's black or it's, it's white. It's A or it's B. And yeah. in my beliefs, you don't become a man overnight. And so I've actually right. been playing around with this. There's boyhood, there's becoming manhood, and then manhood. And I agree. So what are, yeah, just what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So the rite of passage, like like a wilderness quest of some sort, marks that conscious assumption of that recognition. But once you've achieved that internal status, you have to go out and demonstrate it. You have to live it. Mm -hmm. And it's a long process. And sometimes it's a very long process, like years, Mm -hmm. so that you're on the path. But being on the path, you're still a man, in my view. You're in the process of embodying and claiming that truth. Mm-hmm. When you're a boy, well, you, I didn't answer the part of your question about what's the boy part. Sure. So boy is self-centered. It's pretty much about you. Uh, for me, a big piece is that the ability to love. Mm. I had an old Quaker friend 
who said when we brought a group to him as an elder, he was he is a in his eighties at the time. He was a lovely man who's from what from this community. He said uh, when people asked him, well, what what should I learn? He said, try to love some somebody more than you love yourself, just one or something, <laughs> one person. You know that. Uh-huh. So that boyhood thing is you love yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but the manhood thing is you maybe are committed to something that puts you in second place mm, a little mm. bit. So becoming a man is being on the on that road, but you've already recognized the territory. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's a difference. Being a man, well, it's a process. Yeah. To stretch it a little bit, Jetty, into the whole question of rites of passage without regard for gender, I got a Facebook post just yesterday evening from a woman who did our quest in 2000. 15. Mm-hmm. She said, after the program, I went into a downward state for two years mm-hmm. in which I struggled and then came back out and now in a really meaningful relationship, blah, blah, blah. And the end of her, her post was, I, I, everything happened because of that quest in mm-hmm. 2015. So the, the claiming of your adulthood, whichever it is, mm-hmm. manhood, womanhood, or whatever your gender identity is, doesn't necessarily lead right to some kind of uh, delight or ecstasy. Yes. It can lead to years of struggle uh-huh. where, where you come back to the world and you have to, like I said, you have to take it on. Mm-hmm. So that's the becoming part. And for some people that's easy and for others, it's not easy at all. I think that's really important to highlight too, because there's, there's this action reward expectation that a a lot of people in our society have, especially in the millennial generation where I do something and then I get something. There's a certificate, a trophy, something that recognizes the, the achievement. But what I, what I love about rite of passage and what what you're describing here to me is that sometimes going out and questing and coming back is actually just starting the clock. (laughs) It's like just beginning the process. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. I call it putting your feet on the path. Uh, you know? nice. So so you're walking that path now. Mm-hmm. And actually people get disoriented because they think they're not on the path when they get into the dark stuff. But actually that's, that's what they need to go through. Mm. I would contrast that with traditional cultures. Like we were invited a few years ago to visit the Mohawk. Mm-hmm. People and I'm not speaking from some great you know knowledge of several Native American tribes or cultures, but just from the context I've had, that was a real honor to be there. And we were on the reservation when these young men did a vision quest. Mm-hmm. It was like their third. They did two days or three days of solo. They were building up to four days, and when they came out, the whole like a hundred people came out to welcome them and honor them. Mm-hmm. And, and they did a lot of storying and talking about what it meant. At the time, talk about journeys, there was a Bear Clan mother who was sponsoring this thing. And she said, Mike, would you give a talk? And I said, no, I just, you know, I'm not entitled to talk in this culture. Uh-huh. And, and this big medicine man named Jojo, he was like a giant bear of a man. He looked at me and he said, Mike, when a Bear Clan mother asks you to do something, you better do it. <laughs> Like, okay, get get out of my own way here. Right. What was going on for those young men was the whole culture recognized what they had started. Mm. They didn't say, you're done. Mm. They didn't say, you've done this vision quest, so you're finished. Mm. But they said, it's time to demonstrate something right now. So they put them, there was a big feast. 
mm-hmm. and they put them in line at the, the dining hall and they welcomed all the guests, got them seated and ate last. Mm. They said, now that you're young men, the first thing you do is show service. Mm-hmm. And so, so they immediately acknowledged the magnificence of what they'd accomplished and put them right into a role of, of care for others immediately. Mm-hmm. And that, so that was demonstrating being a man. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've seen the same things in, at Sundance too, you know, that all those teachings are woven into the fabric of every ceremony and to the point where life is really a ceremony yeah. by, by nature of the culture. And you highlighted something really important. And I've talked about rites of passage here before, but just to review, there are three stages to every rite of passage, sometimes in different practices, they have different names, but right. essentially severance is the first phase where we're, well, let, let me have you define it since you're, since you're the no, please, expert here. No, no, I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to actually hear your perspective because everybody's heard me talk about it. So how would you just, just walk us through the three phases? Yeah. I mean, this is a anthropological kind of cross-cultural look. Certainly each culture is going to have its own versions of this, but it's a little bit like Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces, the uh, rite of passage with a thousand faces. Yeah. <laughs> so in, uh, in some of the writings, you would say the first phase could be called severance. It's one of the terms for it. That means just getting ready to let go of everything, mm-hmm. to step into the change mm-hmm. and to release. Stephen Foster used the phrase, you know, dying to an old life. Mm-hmm. That's very dramatic, but that's a reasonable statement. Mm-hmm. The second stage is called the liminal or threshold, and it means you're between worlds. You're liminal. Liminal learning is like neither here, it's neither back in the old world, nor is it into the new world. It's between. You're in this dream state mm-hmm. between worlds. It's a threshold period. And that's where, in a lot of the wilderness work, that's where solo time. Mm-hmm. But there are other kinds of ceremonies that are liminal, like if you're in a sweat lodge, your liminal is inside the lodge, right? It's in the, mm-hmm. during the ceremonial period, really, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that state, you're opened up. Your psyche is more open to looking both backwards and forwards or being just in the present, but your relationship to things changes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more you can say about that, but it's kind of mysterious, too. Mm-hmm. So you, there's a lot you can't say about it. And then <laughs> finally, the return phase, which is the hardest in our experience, in our culture, is you come back out. Mm. So you return or you in, they talk about incorporation because you're out of that dream world. You're back in your social body, your mental and physical bodies. They talk about coming back to your body, but it's not just your physical body. Mm. It's like the body that you inhabit in the world is what you're taking on again. Mm-hmm. And you may be taking it on in a very different way because it's a kind of rebirth. Mm. Yeah. So part of the idea in Rites of Passage is is dying to an old life and taking on a new life. And that can happen in very small ways. It can just be like release of all your concerns. Like if you go into a sweat and you just sing and pray for three hours, you're going to be different when you come out. Or it can be very big, like actually reviewing your entire life mm-hmm. and realizing that you want to come out to being a new person and forgiving yourself for things that you did and, and asking for help to, to move forward. Mm-hmm. It can be really powerful. Yeah. So that's that's the idea of a ceremony in general, rite of passage through those stages. Yeah, and I'm glad that I asked you because I learned something in the way that you described it. What you really did. stood out to me, yeah, well, what really stood out to me is the way you described the threshold phase uh-huh. is that in between worlds. So, so yeah. such a simple way of des- describing it, but exactly what 
I experienced being in that space. And I think it really is very accurate way of defining that because we call it stepping into the sacred space or the, where all the channels and portals are open, but in between worlds, that's that for some reason that just really landed for me. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that's a mysterious place and there's probably way more language for it, but it's all fingers pointing at the moon, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's an altered state of consciousness. There's no doubt about that. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you for that. And I also, the reason I wanted to review that is because this piece about incorporation, you, you were, mm. you were sharing the, the story about visiting the Mohawk community and that it was that, that a hundred people came out to welcome these boys back from their quest. Mm-hmm. Incorporation, like you said, tends to be the most challenging elements of a rite of passage in our society. And mm-hmm. simply because there's just not this established foundation of culture and a way of doing things. We've learned how to isolate each other by building fences and building walls and building homes around ourselves. And this this idea of community, I think, is something you're really connected to by the way you've lived your life. So I'd want to hear, mm-hmm. I just want to hear you talk more about the importance of incorporation and why it's yeah. so essential moving forward as a people. And the first thing I want to say is what comes to mind as you're saying this is that we're all broken, um, not just non-native people. All these communities have been broken mm-hmm. in various ways. We learned that when we went to see the Mohawks. We, we heard some horrific stories, and I've heard stories from other Native American elders and friends about that brokenness. Mm-hmm. So everybody's trying to repair that mm-hmm. in some way. It's not like there's some idealized truth out there. Sure. Going through a rite of passage where you see something powerful, where you recognize it in the first two stages, leaves you with a huge challenge is how are you going to live that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody, the brokenness is back in the world. The communities are broken. The sense of, of support for, for living a deeper truth is broken. Without facing that, we can think, oh, I'm perfect. I got it. I got my message. I'm good. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. And then you come back and it's like hitting a, a tsunami. It, it absolutely knocks you over mm-hmm. if you're not prepared for how challenging that can be. So I think, I'm not sure of this, but I think that in the modern era, I'll just speak for the cultures I do know of in the Western culture, it's a huge challenge. Unless you're going to treat such an experience as a kind of a high, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I got high, I got, it was great out there and I can't wait to get back out there and get high again. (laughs) You know, (laughs) speaking of that, just as an aside, we have met a few people on our trips that, that have worked a lot with ayahuasca. While I absolutely value the experiences they brought, there was that element for some of them that I can't wait to get back into that high state because I can't stand living in this world. Right. So, mm. you, so everybody has this challenge of how are you going to live in this world mm. and what are your commitments? So in that sense, being isolated or feeling like a solo individual or not recognizing the hearts of others that share a similar journey and that are struggling, it creates all that even more difficulty in the challenge of, of pulling your life, the, where, the path you're walking into alignment with what you experienced. Because mm. when you vision, when you're out there, just you and nature, the deepest truth will emerge. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see it. Yeah. Even I'm, I'm going to say that even if you're a really healthy person, you know, you don't have a lot of stuff to go back and rework, but you come back to a, a world that's wounded. Mm-hmm. So, you have a task. You you have to show up, and and you can be overwhelmed in a number of different ways. And people have to find their balance, mm. the way to be true, to be in touch with themselves, to be psychologically and spiritually whole, and and give 
their gifts. A key element of traditional rites of passage is you come back with gifts mm-hmm. for the community. So if there's no community to connect with, mm-hmm. you're kind of steaming, you're stewing. Maybe you create it. May, other people are doing that. You create uh, an organization or you start to create a, a gift or you look for a job doing something that you really are passionate about. Mm-hmm. We, we've had that happen. <laughs> we're in Korea when we were there. We were invited back two years after the first program. And all these people came to see us who weren't there at this retreat center anymore. They were all the employees we took out. And they were saying things like, after the quest, I realized this wasn't my calling. And I, and I had to follow my heart and I went back to school and studied botany right mm-hmm. we had people telling us that and in that culture it's particularly challenging because they've got not only their loyalty to their employer but their parents the family our, yeah our family's telling them you got to do this in yeah. order to be respected and they're going I respect you but I can't do that mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. So, so the courage to find that you've got to have some support Absolutely. You know, you're, you're wandering around in the desert like Moses, you know, you're feeling it inside and it can make you more disaffected. It's really, really important to understand that, mm. that having, having had that experience doesn't solve anything. It, it means you have to get stronger. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the great misconception is, uh, well, I think it's both. I think it's a both and conversation because I know, at least in my experience, I definitely gained a sense, a greater sense of resilience and knowing what yes. I actually can do by going out and fasting for four days and being alone with my thoughts in nature. Right. So that there is that physical component, maybe physical and mental, but absolutely, it, the journey just began for me. I, I fasted back in 2014, a month before I got married, and three months before we got pregnant with our first child. So uh-huh. I'm a case study in the journey was just beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was really just beginning. And everything that has happened for me in those, I guess we're going on five years now, has all been connected to my experience in the threshold space. It's been an unfolding of that dream. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't have been possible had it not been for a community to come back to. Yeah. And so it's a it's an interesting conversation we have because it's it's a little bit of chicken in the egg because if we're reintroducing something new into a society, what comes first? It is chicken and egg. I agree. And there was a question that came up a lot a few years ago was do you build the structures to hold people and then develop the rites of passage or do you build the rites of passage and and have people needing desperately to build those structures so they can hold them. Mm. Um, It goes around. But I have another thing to say about community, which is more historically where we came from with it. Mm -hmm. Historically, when we started doing this work, there was a sense of turning people, of of people actually out there with a group, but not really in the group. It Mm -hmm. was a bunch of individuals going out and kind of holding space for each other, but not much more in my experience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Sometimes it was a very uncomfortable place mm. to be in that base camp, let's say. There were different kinds of tensions and struggles. And from having lived in community many years ago, in fact, I, I, I developed this with a, another community member who was a trainee of mine. We talked about it on the way home one day and we started saying, you know, we need to make it more of a community in the field. Stephen Foster, the founder of a lot of this work, he had a theory, which, which I heard about later. I didn't know about it at the time but that if people get too attached to each other out on the program, that that will inhibit their ability to return home with, with the gifts. Mm. And I emphatically disagreed. Mm. I mean, this is something where I just didn't agree. What we kept finding was that the more compassion and heart 
and space for holding there was in that temporary community in the field, the more courage people had to go off mm-hmm. into their life with it. So from psychotherapy, I call that a corrective experience. That's what they call it in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. It's like if you feel totally loved and supported by your therapist, it doesn't mean you're going to want to marry your therapist. It means you're going to feel safer to go out in the world and find that experience. Right. So that's, that's the approach we've been taking. And so a lot of our community building has been developing methods of creating safe and potent community as that group that goes out in quests. Mm-hmm. And out of that community group, people feel then I got that. I, I had this experience out there I've never had in my life with a group of people. Mm-hmm. And I want to go out in the world and make that happen. Right. And so, so that's, it's been like sending little star seeds out because it's not built. And, and people live in geographically diverse areas with our work. Now, you know, with some of the programs like Condor Clan, they have the, ben- the luxury of having this group to come back to. I think that's incredibly rich. Mm-hmm. But our work really speaks to people all over the world. And so we're sending them home with that star seed, with that feeling of I experienced powerful community. Now I realize I need to make that happen. Yeah. We're not building it on the second stage, although we have, I will say, along with Kent Pierce and Farian a few years ago, we developed this second, this alumni group called the, the orb, the order of the red bandana, which, which was, based on a bandana ceremony that Kent brought to us, mm-hmm. uh, probably from Condor. And so the idea of that is you are a me- when you graduate from your group, you have a red bandana, and that puts you in touch with all the other red bandana holders, of which there are probably hundreds now. Mm-hmm. So any of those groups can get together and meet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> can support each other and say, we are, we are the community you need. We're going to a meeting in next this coming Sunday in the East Bay. And, the, and this group has been meeting for five years or so like this. Wow. Uh, and, and I go as a participant because I need it. I'm not, I'm not leading it. It's, it's a co-hosted thing. So that potential to build that community becomes a, a vision that happens on the other side and people start looking into that. Yeah. What, what strikes me as I hear you share that, and man, there's so much to unpack here. I'm just... Yes. <laughs> gathering up my questions is that there's architects and then there's builders and everyone has a different role to play in this. And it's almost like you're the work that you've been doing with your community is like you said, giving people an experience and sending them back into their communities with medicine to give back to the, to their people. You're, you're not going yeah. around the world building communities. You're, you're, you're giving people the medicine and letting them take it back to their communities and their families and then establishing it there. I think that's really accurate. I'm not that social a person to be a community builder in that sense. There are people who specialize in that. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole movement of intentional communities that's worldwide, of which there are hundreds. Mm -hmm. The Fellowship for Intentional Community, FIC. So the community I actually live in is a member of that Mm -hmm. larger organization. So absolutely, I see myself in the role you're saying. It's enough for me that people come back saying, I've had this experience and I want to, and for me, in order to embody what they learned on the quest, they're going to need to find a place to give those gifts. Yes. So whether they, whether they find it by collecting their friends or whether they, they do it through their workplace or whatever, but it sparks a sense of this is, this is not just about me and my, you know, getting enlightened or something. Right. That, that's very clear. 
and and one of the one of the most interesting things is in this in this modern era there are so many different ways to build community i mean if we go back 20 yeah. 30 years ago you couldn't build community unless you were getting face to face with people now we have virtual communities people are using the word tribe when they're talking about people in their facebook community it's so yeah. it's it's transforming and it's evolving and that's what we do as humans and as people so i can say from my experience one of the most challenging things has been to establish community where there hasn't been one before to mm. to not like you said before not invent something or create something entirely new but to to make it work for what's present for us because myself my wife my family and a couple of other families in our community and our network we want to create exactly what we're talking about here where we we've all fasted we've all and and, and we're doing our work so that we can build a community mm. that will receive our children and that will call in other people so we can receive their children. And so we can have hundreds of people coming to receive young men on the other side of their threshold process and to celebrate mm-hmm. young women when they have their first moon. And mm-hmm. I could say for me, it's already been a lot of work and so many challenges and confrontations that mm-hmm. I didn't expect with the people that I trust and love most on this planet. Mm-hmm. So if it's challenging for us, I can imagine how it is for people who don't have anything like that yet. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's a beautiful journey to be in. It's exactly, it's the incorporation in my life and in our lives. But I do believe that there is a greater global importance to beginning to come back together to this because we, it, we become so fractured and isolated in our linear perpendicular ways of being, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought of something as you were speaking that may be implicit here, but I want to, I want to bring it out. The idea of community and the relationship between individuals and community is is a very interesting and I think complicated topic. Mm-hmm. So when we take people out in the field, we are developing a community where each person is their own shining star. And that relates to the psychological and spiritual concept of individuation. It's a Jungian idea, which is very applicable to the wilderness quest or vision quest process, which is you are becoming you and you take your place amongst other shining stars. Mm -hmm. And the the combination of that group of shining stars makes for a a safe community. Mm -hmm. Community can also mean there's an agenda here, please get with it. Mm -hmm. Would you please put your individuality aside Mm -hmm. so you can get on the bandwagon? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's been more of a dominating idea of community as a sort of dominance. And it's very prevalent. I can't tell you how prevalent it is, even in new age circles. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very common. So we want to stay clear about the, the focus we're building here is you come as you are and you tell your truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what builds safe community where everybody is like, if you come to the community meeting and you say, today I am depressed and miserable and I need a hand to hold. People don't say to you, you know, we got a lot of work to do today. Would you Please stop being such a downer. Yeah, suck it up. <laughs> that's that's typical. That's often heard. Uh-huh. So so we're talking also to some extent about uh, intentional about the the kind of space we're creating here, where it's where you're encouraged and and actually are obligated to um, recognize your unique being mm-hmm. as a as a precursor for being able to participate in community, and that the kind of community that comes out of that has a very unique quality to it. It, it, when you sit in community, when you sit in circle with that, it's transforming. Mm. And it's easy to not see the difference because we have so many uh, models that really call for people to be, to kind of blend themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, an, it's a source of conflict too, Jetty, because 
inevitably, if you got a big project to do today and I'm feeling depressed and miserable, you're, you're going to say, come on, Mike, you know, you've been depressed and miserable for the last week and we need you. <laughs> so, so it leads to a deeper exploration of what it means to show up. Yeah. I think there's a dynamic tension there too, where, because it, you can go all the way to one end of the spectrum of, hey, suck it up, let's go. Your, your right. individual journey is not as important as the collective journey. And the other end of the spectrum is, okay, we're here for you, Mike. How, you know, how, many, how, yeah. long, how long are we going to do this for? You know, like when, do you, when do you want to actually pull yourself out of it? And the, the, common, the, the common denominator is that community is there for both of those experiences. And community yeah, is there to hold, hold someone in that. Because you know, that's, when that's not there, that's why we have men killing themselves at astronomical rates. And we have people who are, you know, on antidepressants lifelong because they're coming, they're, they're in a world that is so painful. Like you said before, you know, coming back into this world that is painful and challenging, and that's not going to change. Even, even if we completely overturn and overhaul our government and our political regime, and we, we reverse a lot of these bigger problems that we see on a societal level, it's still going to be painful and challenging. That's just the nature of life. I agree. So, um, so I think it's good to balance that conversation too, because, you know, yeah. especially in rites of passage, coming all the way back to the vision quest, there are people who are looking for what I've come to call the magic bullet. Mm. Is this going to solve all of my problems? Is this going to pull me out of my depression? And unfortunately, I think a lot of, a lot of people out there who are putting together personal development programs and growth opportunities are taking, taking advantage of that. Because that's what people want. We want to find our way out of our pain. But as right. Bruce Lee said, we're the medicine for our own suffering. <laughs> yes. So, so really, I think that in the best in the best context, Vision Quest is about is about giving someone an opportunity to discover that they are their medicine, that they do have a yeah. place and a purpose in this world. And by walking that path of purpose, even on the days where it's hard to do it, is going to be healing. Absolutely. So it's, it's all, it's, it's all kind of coming together in a beautiful way with what you're sharing here. Cause speaking specifically about the people who are into plant medicines, cause that's a huge thing right now is everybody wants to, whether it's ayahuasca or peyote or San Pedro, they're, they're having these experiences and I'm a big advocate for plant medicines. And I think that, like you said, vision quest could be just chasing another high, another escape. So could you speak a little bit about your observations on that phenomena? Cause in your in the time you've been doing Vision Quest, it's become you know way more prevalent in our society. I'm going to go a little sideways on you here and say that the people who come to mind who were involved with plant medicine, a lot of them weren't ready for the kick in the ass mm. that that the Wilderness Quest provides mm. because it's it's straight up the mountain without any assistance, <laughs> and so it, it, you end up being thrown back on yourself. And they're looking around and going, I just want to relax and enjoy the ceremony. I just, I just want to kick back and get taken somewhere. And it doesn't work like that. Mm. You, you end up being taken into your own frustration and your own sense of, of meaninglessness or your own sense of incompetence. And you have to grapple with that. Right. You, that's what shows up. Mm -hmm. So I think that the antidote in a way, to the people who are who are too involved with plant medicine, I agree with you. It can be of immense value. But the ones who are who aren't going to just go round and round with it is a, something like a, a quest, mm -hmm. because what happens then is is you have to use everything you've got. You've got, in a lot of ways, the ability to dream and vision depends entirely on your rational ability to set up your camp, stay safe, be able to sleep at night and wake up in the morning. I mean, the, 
you have to ground yourself in, in reality and, and there's no getting away from that. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a, it is a kick in the butt for people who are expecting. And, and in fact, they find it really hard and it moves them away from that dream state into a different kind of dream. I mean, it's definitely dreaming, but it's got, it's got bones behind it. It's got, it's got some substance. That's mm. been my experience of those people. We don't get a lot of people, maybe because of the way we approach the program, who just want to come back and quest again and again. Mm. They, they'll do it after a few years, but there's so much to work with from, from one program. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I don't personally advocate that people like quest once a year or something. Mm-hmm. I've heard about that. I don't think it's needed for most people. Yeah, I think what I, think what I was speaking to is people who show up for a vision quest who are expecting that same type of, ah, I get to have this experience and then just kind of come back out of it. And what you shared was really, was really profound in the way that the plant medicines, I think are, are such a, such a wonderful portal and that, that help us access that liminal, um, in between world space, you know, that, that super spiritual yes. place where we're outside of ourselves. But in order to integrate any of that information, it requires to have a body that can move around and do things on this planet. And, and that's what I think that is the difference of going out and fasting. And, 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 and even if we take it past the vision quest and going into in Sundance and some of these next level layers of, of rites of passage and, and ceremony, it's, it's all about preparing the body on a mental, physical, spiritual level for, for life to integrate all of that. I agree with that. I haven't had a lot of people come to our program who just expected to trip out and sort of have it be easy. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I'm not saying it, we haven't had any, mm-hmm. some of the ones that come with that expectation are actually not Americans. Mm. I, the people who come to mind tend to be Europeans. <laughs> they, have, they have a different approach, but not always, but Northern Europe tends to be more of that kind of place where there's this fantasy of, transcendence. Mm. So I, I, maybe it's the way we present the program, but that hasn't been a real problem for the most part, that, that people are coming with unrealistic ideas that they're going to be enlightened. I think the, the idea of spending days alone without food definitely brings up people's fears, and that tends to be grounding. For sure. Yeah. And I, it, it triggered my interest because those are the people that I'm surrounded by. My, my communities are, you know, oh. 20, 30, maybe 40 somethings yes. who are so taken and so drawn to the, the red road and the plant medicine world uh-huh. without really, I think people come in and out of that community. And that's how it starts. That's how it begins is right. You, you get welcomed in, you show up at your first ceremony, whether it's ayahuasca or whatever it is. Okay. And you get your, your mind gets so blown open by that. And then you step back out of it and you can step in and out in an evening instead of stepping in and then continuing to walk down that path, which is where mm-hmm. you start to see behind the scenes that this, is, this isn't just a, a trip or an experience. It's actually mm-hmm. one thread of a lifelong narrative, of a lifelong relationship with these plants and with the mountains and with everything that's happening around us. So that's the le- that's that's why it sparked my interest cuz i know that there's a little bit of this spiritual tourism that's happening where people want to uh. go and have an experience and feel uplifted because of how whatever they're going through in their lives and then they come back and they're like oh great what now 
you know, what, uh-huh. what do I do with myself? So I just wanted to highlight that because I, whether you were aware of it or not, I think it's really important because that's, that's what I'm aiming to do too, is to build a lifelong narrative, help, help people recognize that this is a lifelong journey and that these yes. ceremonies and rituals help us to acquire the wisdom, the information, and, and also the strength that we need to, to live a life of purpose. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's how I, that's the simplest way I can describe it for myself. Well, and it might be just the way we work and my own predilections, but what we emphasize is finding out where the wound is mm. and, and heading right into it, kind of welcoming the sorrow or the grieving or the, or the pain. That's where the gold is. Right. So, so because of that, even if people come with a kind of a head trippy sort of space, in our process of orienting people, we'll try to help them to look into what needs work, what needs to be attended to. Mm-hmm. And that helps ground it. Yeah. I haven't, like I said, I haven't run into a lot of that, but it also, we may not be working with people from here. <laughs> of, of that. We don't work with that many. We work with quite a few teams, actually, where all these principles apply. It's different, but the principles apply. They, they have a profound experiences, some of them, really profound and, and life-changing even. But we don't get a lot of kind of spiritual flyers in their 20s, once in a while. But yeah. typically, our whole charisma, our persona, emphasizes more the long way, the long path, and that inner right. work. So I think people looking for that may just turn away from our program. Well, and I think that's it, it's man, this is super informative for me because I'm recognizing, like like we said before, when I after I fasted five years ago, it was just the beginning of my journey. That's right. So I'm still listening and identifying what what is my role in my community right. past today. I know what my purpose has been up till now, but what is my purpose moving forward? And that's what I want to bring back into for, for my generation is yes. this is about the long game. This is about the slow burn. This isn't about throwing a big pine log on the fire and watching it spark up real fast and then letting it cook right. out. This is like throwing a nice hearty piece of oak on the fire and, and, and digging your heels in for the long run. Yes. And a lot of people are craving that. They just don't know where to get it because it hasn't been there for them. They haven't seen it. They didn't learn it. They didn't inherit it. So I'm grateful that we just kind of took this opportunity to bounce back and forth because it's, it's refined what it's been, what it is for me and yes. what is possible, I think. And I think also what's necessary because I'm working with people who are already parents or, going, or about to become parents or aunties and uncles. And they've got to be ready in order for us to do it for the next generation. Well, yeah. And, and where have they gotten their lessons from? I mean, you said you got married a few years ago. What were your images of marriage? And did you have any models for relationships that would last? Mm. Um, yeah. So there's all of that. And when people actually start doing what you're describing, they're going to hit all those shadows, Jetty. Yeah. They're going to hit all the sense of, oh, my God, I'm committing to something here. And I've seen where commitment goes. And when I was growing up, I watched a lot of adults and it, was, it looked poisonous. So mm. I don't want to go there. Yeah. So, and that... To me, in terms of like the the paradigm, that that's you call that getting stuck in the West. You know, it's like <laughs> getting caught in the shadows, and, and you have to work your way through that. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you decide, I'm going to really do this, all the voices that say you can't, you won't, it's not possible, it's going to fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a forest of of those voices to walk through. If you never make that commitment, hey, I'm good. <laughs> I never had to deal with it. Right. Right. So you're 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 bringing up like some of the ghosts, maybe more for your generation, because 
there's a lot of years in there where the culture was really off base and where I don't know who your models were. Mm. But, um, yeah. yeah. I had the, I had the hippie models. They weren't <laughs> great, but they weren't mainstream. Sure. They were, they were like, take your alternative route through the woods. <laughs> that, that was what I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really a beautiful journey right now because uh, I do see a lot of folks who are recognizing it on a subconscious level. It's like, it's intuitively, they're like, I, I want to sit around the fire. I don't know why I want to sit around the fire. I want to, I suddenly feel the need to be around people who want to review life in a bigger way. And Mm. I think that it's, it's our soul, you know, sending out an SOS beneath the surface of all the doing and all of the modernity that we've come accustomed to. And, and like you said, the modeling that we've had. Because there have been generations of doing, of detachment, of isolation and disconnection, that lone wolf, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. And there's a lot of people who are really open and receptive to it. So it feels like beautiful work to me. And if there's anything I'm taking from this conversation, it's just a reminder of how big the work is and how far will I be able to pass the baton off to my kids and our kids once I'm gone. That's really, that's really like the question of my life right now. Mm. Wow. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know this has been a great conversation. We can go on for hours, I'm sure. There is one more thing I want to ask you before we start to tie it all up. You mentioned before we got on here about men's cycles. And I had a guest on here, like I said, a few weeks ago talking about he believes that there's a men's cycle and, you know, something, something lunar about it because of the 28 days and we're all made of water. But I just wanted to get your perspective on that because you actually gave some, some great context to it that I think would be helpful for men to hear. Well, I think that women have a cleansing cycle and that their body goes through this rounds and men have to consciously choose to sweat, mm-hmm. to release it, to, uh, to, to walk into the other side, you might say, periodically and unconsciously. Mm. Like I said, I don't necessarily see it as related to the lunar cycle, but I do think we have a, we'll get full of our emotional and physical toxins if we don't find a way to work with that mm-hmm. for men it's it's a choice mm-hmm. to, to become a man and to walk that path is always like a conscious choice it's not there's all the conditioning because we have to look at the current era where men are dis, dis letting go of the beliefs about what it means to be a man that so many of which were toxic and destructive but still what kind of man you're going to be is 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 not something biological hmm. it's something you have to decide where you stand where you, what you want to embody and then go after it so the so the idea that you periodically need to cleanse yourself or sit in counsel or or go into some kind of a, a process where you empty out is is really important for us, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's how I see us it working. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know from the teachings I've received, the Lakota ceremony of the Anipi, the sweat lodge, as a lot of people know it, was originally a male ceremony. It was it was yeah. men only because men were the ones that needed it. And we were joking before we got on this call. I was just in a full moon sweat last night to celebrate uh-huh. the Mashika New Year and the full the full moon, and um, and the equinox, of course. And we were talking about how a lot of times when there are co-ed sweats, men are face down in the mud while the women are sitting up and (laughs) singing songs. So it's definitely, there's definitely something to it. And even just looking deeper into it, I know a lot of traditions they do, when they do female sweats, a lot of times it's on the new moon. And a lot of the men's sweats are on the full moon. So there's this, again, there's this polarity and this yin and yang element to it that it all starts to make sense (laughs) when you really slow down to look at it. Yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, and then there's this, 
just because it, I, I thought of this earlier, just to touch on it, there's this whole question of gender that that's implicit in all of this. Mm. Like we've had female to male transsexuals say, you know, I want to come on a program, which program should I do? Mm. You know? And so this whole, this whole question about gender identity and it, and it's possible shades of gray and fluidity is, is new for us. Mm. And we're working, and that, that incorporates a, a lot of different layers. You can't assume that what we learned as kids or through the culture generally is always going to be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, man, that's, that's like a whole nother episode we'll have to do it's <laughs> because uh, it it's a big conversation. These questions. Mm-hmm. So I like to think of it as talking about the masculine and the feminine, yep. which I think are, are universal. Their polarities, their energies, mm-hmm. but men and women embody different aspects of that and, and in different amounts, depending on their individual natures and all that. Right. Right. I, I agree too. And that's, that was something that came up after the first 20 episodes of this was looking at how we, the language that we use, talking about men and yes. women, masculine and feminine, uh, the, just those archetypes are so different. The words that we use for that are so different. And so anyway, yeah, that's, that's definitely a topic that I'd love to get in with you at some <laughs> point, especially given what you've seen over the years, because Sean Barry, whom you know, um, he was, yes. he came on here, we had a conversation just about this and his, his perspective on that was that right. we we used to need a ma- a man's body or a male body or a female body to do certain specific things for the way we had to survive for hunting yeah. and gathering. A man's body was more prepared to go and pursue an animal on the hunt. And a woman's body was prepared to give birth and bear children and gather, you know, they, they, they we had more of the biological equipment for that. And in this mm-hmm. modern age, those biological features aren't as necessary for us to survive. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a very touchy subject cuz you know you say man you say woman masculine and feminine all of a sudden people are you know they have there's there's a lot of tension around words and definitions there's definitely there's definitely but yeah yeah it's an important dialogue to have too because people have the freedom to declare who and how they are as well and i think that's a core foundational very belief much. of what we do is you know also so honoring that so i have a couple of lightning round style questions unless you have something else to say to tie up what we've been talking about no no i think this is great i i'd love to continue talking to you another time that's all this is good old <laughs> cool stuff. well no no worries we could definitely put aside another one further down the road okay so lightning round style you know jeopardy so you know quick off yeah, the cuff okay. answers here off the cuff there we go so what is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18 <sighs> well my journey is I came from a really dysfunctional family and I didn't really fully understand that until I got older. Mm. So, so one thing I would have liked to learn is to trust my instincts. Mm, trust your instincts. I love that. Yeah. And, and, I, and in some ways I have, when I kept going certain nourishing processes, even when they didn't match what was reasonable. Mm-hmm. I kept leading people in the wilderness for years when I didn't make any money from it at all because I just needed to do it. Yeah. But more of that, more more of a sense of follow your inner your inner voice. That's something I've been I wish I'd learned earlier. Yeah, I love that one. I wish I heard that one too. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is is compassion. The ability to nourish things to be what they are and not to interfere with your strength. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky thing because there's a strength in standing guard. Mm-hmm. So, so when I saw that with the Mohawks, that they um, had these big men, really big, physical, powerful men, and their whole purpose was to protect. They just were silent. They were just there 
to hold the space so it was safe for everybody. So I think that's a huge masculine capacity. Rather than throwing your weight around is letting people know I'm here and this is going to make this a safe place. Mm. That's, that's a very powerful masculine gift for me. Mm. I like that one a lot. That's oof. I want to talk about that for another hour. <laughs> uh, I'll add one thought to that. When I was with the Mohawks and I saw that happening, I thought in our culture, I, I see kids running around like little kids. And I worry if something happened, you know, like if somebody was aggressive or inappropriate with them, would it be safe? In that culture, I had no question. I thought mm. I wouldn't want to be the person who messed with the children because sure. it wasn't anger. It was just like, this is a, a safe place mm. and we are guaranteeing it. There was a lot of football player sized male energy, but it was all purpose toward protection and none toward aggression. Wow. That, that really struck me. Yeah. Mm. It's a yeah. real profound that, experience of masculinity. And there's a difference between those two for sure. Protection oh, yeah. and aggression. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's another topic for another day. I love that one. Okay. Um, I'm going to add one more question on here that I, I haven't asked anyone before, but because it's you, what do you right. think is the most important question that we ask ourselves as men? I don't know. Honestly, I can't speak for other men. I, that's, I'm more of an intuitive internal type. So, so how about what I, has I been the most important that you've asked yourself as a man? Yeah. Yeah. How can I fully show up here? Hmm. What do, what do I need to put in order or out of order in order to be 100% present? <laughs> awesome, Mike. That's, I love my, that. that's my challenge. <laughs> There's a lot of good questions. Like one, one question is, how do I speak my truth without blame? Mm-hmm. Just tell it. Mm-hmm. But I noticed in my own world that showing up is, if I skip that, paying attention to that, nothing else happens. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so I'm putting it first because that's been my biggest challenge is, don't don't go away. Be right here and, and pay attention and then the rest will follow. That's been my truth. I love that. I love that. Thanks, Mike. So last but not least, uh, can you tell us about where people who are listening can find you, can, can yeah. learn about what you're doing and get to work with you? You bet. So we're just launching a new website, wildernessquest.org. Mm-hmm. And it'll be out really soon. I'm giving you that one because that's what it's going to be. Okay. And the organization is called Rites of Passage or Rites of Passage Inc. To, we're a nonprofit. We've been a nonprofit since 1977. Amazing. Uh, so it's over 40 years of doing this kind of work. You can find me through a search for Rites of Passage or wildernessquest.org. Yeah. And we'll make sure that those links are in the notes for everybody and Great. definitely send a lot of my Northern California community your way, man. Cause I, I mean, I love it. you guys are just doing some incredible work up there and I'm grateful that we got to connect in this way to, to bridge the generations too. I think that's also really important that we keep having these conversations up and down the ladder so that I agree. we're, we're I learning agree. as we grow, as we go. Well, we may pay you a visit down there. Ah, wonderful. Well, you're welcome anytime, <laughs> man. <laughs> you're welcome Thank anytime. You. Okay. All right, Mike. Thanks for coming on here today. Thanks for having me, Jetty. Bye-bye. It was truly an honor to have Mike on the show for this episode. He is a close comrade and friend in the work to one of my great mentors, the man who brought me to the mountain to fast. So to sit down and have this conversation and connect with a man who is a generation ahead of me in this work was truly humbling. And I'm grateful to Mike for taking that time always great to dive into this imaginal wondrous creative place and discovery place especially with a man who like mike who's so humble and willing to discover and learn 
even with all of the things he's experienced and all of the wisdom that he carries. So I hope that you got as much out of this episode as I did, because it was truly a treat for me to sit down and have this conversation with him. Call to action, fellas. Make sure you mark your calendars right now. Our next Rising Man Fire Circle is April 27th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's virtual. If you want the link and you're coming for the first time, hit me up with a direct message and I'll get you the link. If you don't want to wait till then to become a part of the community, head over to patreon.com slash rising man, sign up for the $33 a month tier and get access to our community. Become part of our inner circle, our inner ring and spend some more time with me and my power team. As always, check out the show notes for links and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. Please subscribe to The Rising Man Podcast. Follow us on the app of your choice. Leave us those reviews, those comments, those five-star ratings. We're just starting to really be recognized a year into this as a powerful podcast transmission for men. We just hit the top 15 charts for podcasts for men through a website that just contacted me as recently as last week. So we're getting out there, guys. The movement is moving. Keep it going. Please keep those comments and those insights and those ratings coming because it really helps what we're doing. As always, check out the amazing work that my man Rowan Tyne is doing for us on our Instagram account at Rising Man Podcast. Big shout to Sean Offenbach at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. He has a lot of amazing opportunities, offers, and support to give you guys who want to keep building your brand and put together a really nice package, whether you have a podcast or whatever offer you're presenting to the world. He's got some really incredible stuff coming. So we'll make sure we keep promoting that here for him and for you so you can access his brilliance and his wisdom like I have. So Sean, thank you for everything you do, my man. And Julian, Mark, you guys as well, holding it down on the back end. Big things coming for the Rising Man in 2019. Thank you guys for everything you do. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.